need to feed my spirit. I was once looking. You are a spectre from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 29, we've got the very lovely Nathan Bigler. He opens up about his upbringing in Oregon, a mission to Texas and California, where he experienced some symptoms of scrupulosity and sleep paralysis. But he also gets into the eventual peace that comes from leaving the church. And of course, we cover much, much more. Once again, if you haven't, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for access to all previous episodes as well as all of my social links. It's all right there. It's very easy to use on a phone. So why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? As well, one quick update. I will be taking a brief hiatus for about a month just to clear some things in my life up, but I will be active on social media, so please feel free to reach out if you have questions, if you want to guest and share your story, or if you just want to say hi, I'm open to it all. But that's enough for me. Please enjoy the episode. So just kind of jumping into things. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? Tell us about yourself. All right. I am Nathan Bigler. I am a medically retired uh, veteran. About five years ago, I had some health problems, had a, like kind of a freak um, seizure. Oh. And after 12 years of active duty service, I was uh, retired from the Army. That ended up being really, really good for my family. So after 12 years of like really um, time intensive service, all of a sudden, like I was home with my kids and able to recover and doing pretty well now. And, uh, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm thinking about it as an intro. I, I was born in Salt Lake City, but I grew up in Oregon in a small town in eastern oregon called milton freewater so i was raised with kind of a mixture of um some knowledge of like my mormon pioneer heritage but also ultimately far from utah and so you know in a community that didn't have a lot of lds people um had a had a good upbringing my parents are um really good people they're still members of the church when I thought about this interview, I thought about intentions. So mm-hmm. I sometimes am, I no, I am often very critical of LDS policy and culture, but I love the people. And that's been, both of those things have been kind of constant in my adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of as a caveat, um, did they find out the cause of that seizure? Like, is everything okay? It was just kind of a... Everything seems okay. Yeah, it was a thing. I was extensively tested, and I've met other people that say that um, often a person can will have a seizure and no, nothing else. And so I've been pretty lucky. Okay, good. 
Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. But, yeah. Um, so you grew up, was, uh, you, you mentioned intentions, was um, a mission something that was always something very encouraged in your house or? Absolutely. In that way, my, my upbringing was really conventional, I think. Um, and so I, what, one thing that I thought about was my earliest shelf item, right? Mm -hmm. So about the same time that I got baptized as a member of the church, we lived in Spokane, Washington. My grandma, who spoke at my baptism, gave me this amazing book of paleontology. It was like the encyclopedia of, of paleontology. I remember looking through that as an eight, nine, and 10 year old and noticing that the age of the earth was four and a half billion years old. And there's this record of, you know, life and, and evolution that stretches back for billions of years. And as a, like a 10 year old, I started asking questions like, but how does that match the Adam and Eve story? Did, what kind of explanation is there? And, and I never got answers. Right. So I had to kind of push that aside as I was raised to, um, you know, participate fully in the church. I went to seminary through high school and really my only goal when I graduated high school was to go on a mission. I didn't really have other goals. Now the earth obviously is, is made from components of other worlds. And so that's why that. that's, that's <laughs> that not that. a satisfactory. I'm like, yeah, checks out. I, I might've bought that when I was 10, but by the time I was, I can't remember if this was before or after my mission, but I remember hearing that kind of a final time about age 19 or 20 and, and realizing I didn't buy it. I couldn't do it. No. <laughs> it's like, hmm, okay, yeah, makes sense. Asteroids, everything's flying around. Yeah. Sure. Know. Is it like a trick by Satan? Yeah. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so you did you accomplish that goal? Like, uh, did you end up serving that mission? I did, and it was just like looking back. This was just like the ordeal of my life. I, I am not a spiritual person. It's not like a part of my personality at all. And so by the time I graduated high school, on one hand, I had this goal to serve a mission. And on the other hand, I was already kind of anxious about the idea that I had never felt like I'd had prayers answered or had any uh, like revelation from God. And so I, I was feeling anxious. I was standing in the doorway of the MTC in Provo. I told my mom, I'm not going in there. I'm just going to like run away and hide in the mountains, right? Like I I was I was trapped by the momentum of like the LDS upbringing and um, I said that out loud and she kind of laughed she's like well you don't have to go in there but like my bags were packed and the commitment was made so I went in the doors started my mission and all through the MTC I don't even remember how long I this was 1996 I, I don't know how long I spent in the MTC but I hated every minute of it. I felt like I was odd man out, that everybody was talking about spiritual experiences that I hadn't felt ever in my life. And if I hadn't been in there with my best friend, I, I probably would have left again or tried to leave again. I, I cornered my best friend who's in the MTC with me at you know week three or four. I said, hey man, I can't take it. This feels terrible to me. Mm -hmm. 
and he kind of talked me out of it, you know, like, Hey, you know, this is a good experience. And if you keep trying, maybe you'll feel spiritual things. And so I stuck it out and I went to Texas, San Antonio. Now, did you ever, um, I mean, cause a lot of people will try to have a Joseph Smith type experience. Like I'm going to go into a, a closet by myself and really plead for a long time for the spiritual experience. Did you ever make an attempt like that when you're, you're having all of these kind of internal turmoil because of people around you, or did you just kind of stick to the basics? Well, I'll, I'll pray. I'll just read the scriptures. I, I tried it my senior year. I remember going hiking one time stopping and basically trying you know, like this prayer, uh, hoping or expecting to like hear from God and had nothing. Mm. I was disappointed. And I was sent home for my mission for doing it mm. again, for trying that. I, my, let's see, my third companion was like a 28 year old polygamist from Utah. He, he came from a family that believed that the LDS leaders were probably apostate, but they were teaching the right gospel and kind of keeping the, keeping the lights on for like true believers like him and his family who believed in polygamy. Mm. This was, this was new to me. I had never heard this before. And even though my first Mormon relative was a polygamist, you know, I, I hadn't thought very much. It's not taught very much in, in, the church in Sunday school in the nineties about the practice of polygamy. Right. So I have this companion. He's, he's fairly unconventional, maybe fundamentalist. And I didn't pay too much of it, too much attention to his talk about polygamy and, and this kind of fundamentalist fundamentalist belief, but he started showing me excerpts from Joseph Smith's teachings about personal revelation and that every member of the church is entitled to this witness from God. So, and this is probably started about six months into my mission. I decided to fast and pray. And after a month of that, of barely eating and praying kind of incessantly, I was fried. I was like, I wasn't even healthy at that point. And it, Looking back, I realized what I suffered in that period was scrupulosity, this like fixation on rules and kind of like ritual belief. Um, I started having sleep paralysis and like night terrors. I, I was imagining demons attacking me during this period. I mean, I was a mess. I, I basically stopped functioning and I wasn't allowed to call my parents. So I'm going through all this distress and not really functioning as a missionary. And I think my mission present was very well intentioned, but I was isolated at that point and starting to get pressure from the other missionaries that I was failing, that I was even apostate. And all of it just kind of piled on until um, this 28 year old guy companion, he goes home honorably at the end of his two years and I'm left totally in distress on my mission and I was in 
Austin then, I think. So they lined me up with another companion, and he was really a zealot. He was one of those guys that were like putting his foot in doors and really being pushy with people. And I, I just couldn't take it. I, I had it. So I stopped proselytizing with him. And my mission president came to my apartment within just days of that and said, well, you're messing up everybody else's mission and you're failing. So what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I would just happily go home at this point. He said, well, great. I have a plane ticket in my pocket. You'll be home. Your, your flight leaves in two hours. So off I go. Wow. So your mission president was like really dialed in with the, the spirit. Like, somebody's <laughs> yeah. getting sent home today let's really search it out and pray oh Elder Bigler. Uh, somehow he knew somehow he knew that's wild <laughs> now like your companion as you're, you're you know you're dropping weight all of these you're having all of these symptoms like no one ever kind of inquired like hey are you good like what's going on no i i snuck in a phone call to my parents because I was starting to kind of, um, well, not starting to, I was really not caring about mission rules because this was a mission that was kind of um, really statistics-based. And mm -hmm. so we were supposed to do so many dozens or, or whatever of like first discussions a day. And at the end of every day, report on all these numbers. So I stopped, I stopped reporting numbers. And there were a lot of indications, you know, that I wasn't following the rules. And so that the zone leaders and the, it was going up the chain of command there that um, I wasn't compliant, but nobody asked about my health. And when I called home, my mom knew that I was, that something was going on. But then when she returned phone calls, they were blocked by the mission presidency. So, so we didn't communicate again until I arrived in Oregon and I was just skeletal. I, I wasn't healthy. I was, all that stuff had stacked up and so the, I guess, you know, the good thing was that he sent me home, but then I had to face, I don't know, post-mission reality, which actually didn't go as badly as it could have. I think the, the ward that I went back to was pretty compassionate. I didn't take too much heat. I remember one or two people saying that I was like a failed missionary or whatever. But but here's the weird thing about this whole mission ordeal. I, I went home and I moved to Boise to be with another family member and tried to kind of move on with my life. And I had the stigma of a failed missionary, like a dishonorable person, right? Mm. And I remember going out on a date with a girl in Boise and telling her that I had not finished my mission and she just almost instantly dropped me. Well, we can't date because you're not a honorable person. And that's done a lot because then I'm facing the rest of my life. If I stay in the church with this failure and the stigma. So unbeknownst to me, my parents had petitioned the first presidency to send me back out because I hadn't done anything really tangibly wrong. I just had, Kind of this faith crisis uh i guess a faith crisis i don't know even know what you call it it was i was trying to do what joseph smith taught i was trying to take him at his word and like i was gonna like see jesus in my room if i prayed enough right so they petitioned the first presidency and they got me a mission call and then 
uh, I went to Los Angeles. So after that whole ordeal in Texas, I do remember this. When the plane landed in Los Angeles, I was sobbing. I was terrified. All the pressure that had been put on me to perform as a missionary, despite my distress, kind of came back to me. But also, I knew I had never had a spiritual feeling after all in my entire life. So I guess what I did is I just became a robot. I spent nine months in Los Angeles, basically kind of being a, a rule keeping zealot up on time, out the door, talk to a hundred people a day. That's what I did to survive in, in Los Angeles to get through the mission. So just kind of shut down, just numb all of your emotions. So were there any, it sounds like low points, low points, low points. Were there any high points? There were a lot because I am really fascinated by people. Every time I met somebody on the street who would give me more than a minute, I was kind of, I was just fascinated with people. I, and it, it would still, even in Los Angeles, it would bug my companions because if I met somebody that wanted to tell me about Jehovah's Witnesses faith or Islam or Sikhism, mm. I remember each of these days, I kind of was stopped in my tracks. Like, well, tell me more. Like, I want to know what you believe. And so the cultural experience in Los Angeles was amazing. I met people from every faith and spent as much time with them as I could. Even though I don't think it was really a conscious decision to learn about other religions, but I was just interested in people. And those experiences were very good. And of course, I made very good friends that I, I still have some friends today that I served with in California. Throughout my life in the church, I've always made a lot of friends um, in the, the ward. I used to go to church with my kids long after I'd left the church and always made good friends. Now, that was definitely was not a small incident that happened, like, you know, like a lot of anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. Um, like what kind of, I imagine there were some lingering effects from that after the mission. Yeah. And looking back, it's interesting because I, I kind of bounced back. No one, no one offered help. Mm. And maybe my experience in California of working and kind of complying with the program I wasn't in bad shape when I finished my mission in Los Angeles. I had a scholarship to BYU. My sisters were there who still to this day are, are believing Latter-day Saints and they're amazing people and we're very good friends. Um, yeah, I enrolled at BYU and just started living my life after a three year ordeal because I spent nine months at home before I went to Los Angeles. So this was three years of my life. It was taken up with the mission. And, so, and I guess, oh, go ahead. What's that? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't look back and see a lot of like terrible effects necessarily. Um, I recovered pretty well. I, when I enrolled at BYU, I don't think I thought about my mission very much at that point. But then immediately started, stuff started jumping out at me. This feeling of uh, lack of spirituality, 
And at BYU, is this onslaught. So this is about 1999. I'm 22 years old, and it seemed like every corner I turned was a fireside about, you should get married tomorrow, yeah. right? Don't wait. Get married now. And that was surprisingly one of the things that was that bugged me the most. I was like, man, that doesn't feel right. I'm not ready to get married. I like that. That wasn't on my post post mission goal list. And uh, I don't remember very much about BYU except being told to get married immediately and sleeping in church. I go to church on Sunday and basically just like <laughs> like knocking myself out. I sit, I'd sit down in a pew and fall asleep. And after about however long it was, I think it was my second semester, I was sitting by a good friend. She woke me up I said, hey, Nate, you're being really rude sleeping in church. I said, you know what? You're right. I am never coming back. Sometimes you yeah. look uh, like one of the most spiritual people when you are passed out, though. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I could have kept it up all my life, I guess. Mm -hmm. I th then that happened in Moses and someone, they were overcome with the spirit and just like it knocked yeah. them out. And I had a companion, <laughs> uh, you know, he would pray on the side of his bed in the mornings. And so I would do my prayer and then I'd get up and go make breakfast. And I'd be like, oh, he's still... Man, it's like been 10 minutes. He's still over there praying. Like, wow, this guy is crazy spiritual. And he was just falling asleep every morning right after his prayers. But... Spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was it. It was a day, like that day stands out to me because I, I couldn't stand it. I was, I was not inspired by church. And the next Sunday I went hiking and like climbed a mountain by campus. And I and then I knew I had to leave BYU because I was now essentially an apostate. Even though I, I didn't have like fully formed thoughts about like, uh, you know, resigning church membership or anything like that. It's just like, I just cannot go back in the building. I can't do it anymore. So, and I didn't, and I was never gonna talk to another bishop about anything. So I knew I couldn't get an endorsement. I couldn't re-register for class. That was that was the end of my, my time at BYU. So, yeah, that's that's my saga of my essentially the entire my entire life in the church. It ended that day. So that time on the mountain was kind of a spiritual experience, though a moment of real clarity and yeah. Right, that's, that's 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 dope. Was that the why? Like was that that trail or? Yeah, actually, above the Y. I, right I hit the y. y and keep, keep going up. Yeah, okay. up on either one of those two summits. Yeah, okay. I'm and it really wasn't intentional. I, I would sit for a while on top. And, you know, I don't consider it spiritual necessarily, but it was like, it was peaceful. Oh. It, was, it was my time. So then what happened next? So next, my life felt kind of kind of disoriented. I was kind of lonely because I I had friends that I left at BYU. I enrolled in UVU in Orem, and 
started making new friends. But man, at that at that time, I didn't really feel comfortable telling people that I had left the church. This was a big kind of paradigm shift for me. <clears throat> and a couple things happened. You know, I, I, I found out that one of my uncles who'd been raised in the church, he'd left the church fairly recently. And all of a sudden that opened up a whole window for me because then I had um, some support and we, we had that together. And, um, and then I met an amazing lady, a good friend of mine, and we got married, but not in the temple. And we had three kids and we got divorced last year and we're still really good friends. And so we kind of both had, together in our life had periods of church attendance. And then in 2015, the, the church published that uh, exclusionary policy where they wouldn't baptize kids if they had gay parents. And I hadn't believed in the church for you know, over a decade at that point. But that day, the, basically, that we found, about, found out about that policy, we both resigned our membership. And we've, we've all been out since then, my kids included. Did you go to the, the big like, meeting over in City Creek when all that was going down, the mass resignation? No, we still lived in Tennessee. I was still... Man, that was either just just before I had my seizure and stuff. So I was still a soldier at Fort Campbell, and we were just basically following the news. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then I just totally uh, threw myself off. But um, you were interested in um, different people and cultures and faiths while you were in California. Now that you're outside of the church, have you kind of explored any other kind of belief systems or where do you find yourself? So yes and no, I continue to be fascinated by people and belief. Also by, by the time I graduated from UBU in 2006, I was an atheist. But, and I remain one. So like, I was like the atheist in the foxhole. Like I went to Iraq a couple times and I'm just really comfortably without God because he's never talked to me, right? But um, I have really good friends. Like I have a friend who's a friar for the Greek Orthodox Church. And most of my family, my immediate family is LDS. And I have friends who are Methodists and Muslim. And I love it. I really, it's really fascinating. Uh, I try not to be, there's always kind of a balance. Like I, I, I really love the people. Sometimes I have a hard time with belief because sometimes it seems kind of oppressive, you know, the, uh -huh. there's a lot of homophobia that comes from the LDS church today. I was born before the, the racist, that priesthood ban ended in 1978. Uh -huh. I look back and I think, man, how, how could anybody be an adult member of the LDS church and like sustain a prophet that thought that black people were inferior? I, I don't know how people did it. That, that'll always be a puzzle. Yeah, that is uh, really crazy to, to visualize. I've never even really done that before. Like just a big crowd of people and like the tabernacle or something like, oh, yeah, 
definitely all in on that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's hard to understand. It really is. But um, it sounds like overall life has been pretty positive for you outside of the church. Yeah, very much. Um, and I went and I joined the army and had, you know, and there's, there's positives and negatives, right? Like I, I had amazing experiences. I was just as fascinated by the people of Baghdad as I was of the people in Los Angeles. But I saw, you know, the, their traumas and their suffering and, and that, that still is with me. I'm still recovering from that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've had great adventures. My kids are amazing. They're all, all three of them, just really bright kids and inter they're interested in people like I am. And um, I think they'll do really well without, without God, like I do. Now you mentioned um, that you've, even though it's been years, you still have quite a, a healthy interest in like Mormon culture and post-Mormon communities. Um, what are kind of some of the the topics that interest you the most? When we moved to Utah a few years ago, somehow I got into kind of U Mormon Utah history. And I remember the day that I found out that like Brigham Young legalized slavery in the Utah Territory in 1852. That was kind of shocking that he was just viciously racist. He, he condemned interracial families to death, the parents and the children, that he, I mean, committed all kinds of atrocities against native Utahns, Native Americans terrible to his wives i mean i i so it's interesting to look at utah history in a, a more objective light than what you learn in the church education system but that's one interest is kind of utah history and the kind of the, the the impact of mormonism on on the state and the evolution from like you know brigham young to the end of polygamy which they practiced for a long time after they said they were done and then Spencer W. Kimball and like racist stuff from the pulpit. Um, that was a long, bad history of, of racism and mistreatment of people. Um, so yeah, those are my interests. It kind of focuses on Utah history because Mormonism overshadows all of it. And there's good things and bad things, a lot of bad things. What are the good things? What are the good things? Yeah. What are the good things? Well, I somebody wrote this, and I don't know what the origin of this, but it kind of stuck in my mind that there's nothing uniquely good about Mormonism, and everything unique about Mormonism is bad. Mm. And if you think about polygamy, which is like just this terribly failed experiment, and racism in the church and I don't know what else there's not a lot of unique things about Mormonism that were great the great the good things are really American history I mean it's it's a story about immigration uh, 
perseverance, I suppose. Um, but all over the United States, the same thing was happening. I and mean, people were moving west in the 1840s and establishing cities. There were effects. I, yeah, I don't, what was good about Mormonism? I don't find a lot, to be honest, that's unique hmm. and good. Um, now there are a lot of good people and kind of a growing ex-Mormon community that I find really interesting as well. But hmm. yeah, it's just kind of America's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, I remember being on my in an apartment in an apartment on my mission. Um, this elder was really complaining about a movie that he had seen before coming out. It was about the Mountain Meadow Massacre, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, the way that they portrayed Brigham Young in this movie—they just made him look like this crazy tyrant guy." And then, yeah. as you mentioned, it's like, "Oh no, yeah, this is pretty. It was actually <laughs> an accurate." Uh, an accurate portrayal. Yeah. But, um, someone who really fascinates me is um, James Strang. Have you really, yeah. have you looked into him much? A little bit recently. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, ordered a book that I'm excited to delve into about him. Um, it's like um, the King of Confidence. Mm-hmm. And it's all about kind of, uh, he did a lot of very interesting things. He like made his way into like, Legis- state legislature and stuff in Michigan and that's cool that's something that really fascinates me you do Mormonism it it, it pops up in a lot of places mm. like I was listening to a podcast at work the other day and pro wrestling came up like WWF mm. and then that wrestler China came up if you're familiar with her no and so she was a very large female wrestler like in the 90s um which is kind of some the era of wrestling that I was familiar with. And so I like did a quick Google because I was like, oh, I want to refresh my memory on this person. And like a couple of years before her, her death, she like converted to Mormonism. And you're like, man, this, this stuff just pops wow. up everywhere. Six degrees of, of the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the army, I was always meeting LDS people some some of my best friends were were lds soldiers yeah a lot, a lot of associations there and, and those are good mm-hmm. yeah i definitely um i don't harbor a lot of resentment or anything anymore like i mentioned before you know everybody has those few years at mm-hmm. least minimum you're gonna have a couple years minimum of some of some anger probably and and some resentment but it does it does get better on the other side for sure mm-hmm. And that's uh, definitely something that I like to focus on, you know, just how it gets how it gets better. Um, but is there um, anything I haven't asked you that you kind of wanted to get into? Maybe not. That's a that's a pretty good summary of my my life and lack of faith. Yeah. Right. Well, do you have uh, any kind of final advice for anybody? It doesn't have to be about leaving the church. It could just be something general, something that you, you might even tell yourself uh, back then? I think one thing that's helpful for most people that have had some traumas is about a year ago, I found a great therapist who specializes in trauma and has spent a year improving my recovery. I, I mean, I felt at one point like I'd, I was pretty well recovered and this stuff will come, kind of come up. Having somebody that's a professional 
who's kind of like for me kind of a, a touch point who a year later I can talk about the progress I've made and how the traumas of my past are less influential or consequential now that that's been really helpful because I, I mean very few people go through life without some trauma yeah absolutely well Nathan thank you so much for coming on and sharing that uh, part of your story for sure thanks so much for inviting me um, before I let you go I do I like to um, get pictures old missionary pictures when I can do you have one I'll or two some. missionary pictures for me perfect for sure. awesome well I'll be coming for those again thank you so much I hope you have a good day and I hope this was kind of beneficial in some way for you I really enjoyed it thanks very much awesome thank you so much have a good one Bye. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.